Well, those of us who are followers of Jesus rightfully spend a lot of our time learning the lesson that life and faith aren't all about us. It's an important lesson to learn, that the earth doesn't revolve around us, that we aren't the center of everything. You may have noticed that human beings are a fairly selfishly inclined lot, and so it usually takes significant work of the Holy Spirit over time to help begin to bring about a shift in us from a self-centered way of thinking to a God-focused and others-focused way of thinking and living. Likewise, those who aren't followers of Jesus uh, often recognize that a self-centered way of living isn't a very commendable way to live, and, and they attempt to reject self-centeredness, give themselves to something more meaningful in life than just constantly living for self. Rick Warren, in his best-selling book of all time, other than the Bible, The Purpose Driven Life, opened the book with this line, it's not about you. As we consider our place in the world, and those of us who are followers of Jesus, as we consider our place in God's mission in the world, it's essential that we learn this lesson and allow the Holy Spirit to lead us away from self-centeredness and toward a God-focused and others-focused way of living. But as we mark Easter 2016, I want to share something with you for a few minutes that's very important for you to understand. And that is that from God's perspective, the resurrection that we celebrate today actually is very much about you. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ are all very much about you. I've titled the message today, The Resurrection and You. There is no clearer truth in all of the Bible than this one. Jesus Christ died and rose again because God loves you. We learn this from many places in Scripture, but uh, most famously from John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world... That means all of us together, and that means each of us individually. That he gave his one and only son. That four-letter word gave, it encompasses an awful lot. He gave his one and only son includes God allowing Jesus to set aside things that rightfully belong to him and condescend to take on human flesh, to be born of a woman, and to live in our fallen world that is full of disappointment and sickness and anger and danger. He gave his one and only son includes God allowing Jesus to face being wrongfully accused by the religious leaders of the day, being rejected by his own people, and it includes God allowing Jesus to die an excruciating death on a Roman cross. He gave his one and only son, includes God sending Jesus not only to die, but to rise from the dead, victorious over death and the grave, which we celebrate here today. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus are all contained in that little word, gave. God gave 
His one and only Son. The reason Jesus lived, the reason Jesus died, the reason Jesus rose again is because God so loved the world. And you do no disservice to the text if you read John 3.16 this way. For God so loved me that he gave his one and only Son, that if I believe in him, I shall not perish, but have eternal life. The resurrection of Jesus Christ isn't only about you, but it is about you. Jesus died and rose again because God loves you. And it's because of you and me and all of us that it was necessary for Jesus to die and rise again. It was necessary for Jesus to die and rise again because mankind is sinful and separated from God because of that sin. This is affirmed many places in Scripture. Here are just a few of them. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, The wages of sin is death. Isaiah 59.2, your iniquities have separated you from your God. All of us have sinned. Now, now we're not as familiar with that word as we used to be, but it, it just simply means that we have failed to live in obedience to God. We have missed the mark. We have fallen short of God's righteous standard for our lives. We have removed God from his rightful throne in our lives and we have placed ourselves on the throne of our lives. That's what it is to sin. And because of that, because of sin, we have earned, according to the scripture, some pretty uh, horrible wages for ourselves. Here's the wage that we've earned. Death. Eternal separation from God. Isaiah says, your iniquities have separated you from your God. It was necessary for Jesus to die and rise again because mankind is sinful. And mankind is separated from God apart from Christ. It was necessary for Jesus to die and rise again because apart from Christ, you are sinful. And you are separated from God. If you don't belong to Jesus here today, if you've never placed your faith in him, that is your situation, sinful and separated from God. Maybe you object. You say, Brian, I'm a, I'm a good person. I really am. Well, let's test that. Don't raise your hand, but I want you to answer a few questions just in your own mind Have you ever lied? Have you ever coveted what belonged to someone else? Have you ever committed adultery? Say, no, I haven't. Have you ever looked on another person lustfully? Have you ever failed to treat your neighbor with the dignity that they deserve as someone created in God's image? Have you ever placed another person or thing in the place that is reserved for only God? Have you ever valued your career more than God? Have you ever valued money more than God? Have you ever valued sex more than God? Most of us, if we're honest, would probably have to answer yes to virtually all of those questions. But here's the truth that we all have to to realize and that we all have have to face. 
if we answered yes to even one of those questions, if you answered yes to even one of those questions, welcome to the Sinners Separated from God Club. Membership, seven billion strong. And everybody who's ever lived. You might be a good person in the way that we human beings grade goodness. But you are not good enough to take care of your sin problem before God. You are not good enough to close the gap of separation between you and God. You read Romans 3.23 correctly if you read it this way. For I have sinned and I have fallen short of the glory of God. You use Romans 6.23 correctly if you read it this way. The wages of my sin is my death. You use Isaiah 59.2 completely correctly if you read it this way. My iniquities have separated me from my God. So it was necessary for Jesus to die and rise again because you are sinful and separated from God and apart from Christ we all are. And it was necessary for Jesus to die and rise again because Jesus is God's only provision for mankind's sin problem. His only provision. Here's what John 14, 6 says. It's the words of Jesus. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one gets saved. No one can be right with God except through me. Acts 4.12 Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus is God's only provision. Jesus is God's only plan to fix mankind's sin problem and bring mankind back to himself. God has no other plan. Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, that is God's plan for fixing our sin problem, for reconciling us to himself and giving us eternal life rather than eternal death, which is what we have earned for ourselves. And because Jesus is God's only plan for salvation, it means some things that, that cut against the grain of what most of us are tempted to think. It means that you can't fix your sin problem by doing more good things in life than bad things. And that is what the vast majority of Americans, and I'm assuming people the world over, believe. If I just do more good things than bad things, the scales of justice tip in my favor, God sees how delightful I am, and I will be okay with God. And yet that is not what the scripture tells us. It means that you can't fix your sin problem by believing all paths lead to God. Because God himself says that they don't. It means you can't fix your sin problem by coming to church and serving others, even though you should do both of those things. It means you can't fix your sin problem by being a good spouse, 
being a good parent. Here's the reality, the truth that we all have to accept and that we all have to face. There is nothing that you can do. There is nothing that I can do. There's nothing we can do to fix our sin problem apart from Jesus. Jesus is God's only provision. He is God's only plan for mankind's sin. In dying on the cross, Jesus bore the penalty of all of our sins. He stepped into our place. He became our substitute. He paid the debt that we owed. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And because he died sinless, because he lived a sinless life in perfect obedience to God, he was able to fully pay the debt that every single one of us owed. He he was able to pay the debt that billions of people who have walked this planet had accrued with God. He was able to satisfy the debt owed by every sinner who's ever inhabited planet Earth. And because the debt was fully paid, that is why we are able to gather together today and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. He was victorious over sin, death, and the grave. Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection is God's only provision for your sin problem. So Jesus died and rose again because God loves you. It was necessary for Jesus to die and rise again because apart from Christ, you're sinful and separated from God, and so am I. And Jesus is God's only provision, His only plan for your sin problem and mine. The resurrection in you, the resurrection is very much about you. God loves you. Jesus lived and died and rose again for you. But here's what scripture teaches us. In order to receive the benefits of Christ's death and resurrection, you have to respond. You have to be willing to receive what Christ has done. At some point in your life, you have to be willing to say yes to Jesus. Romans 10, 9, and 10 are one of many places in Scripture that tell us how we say yes to Jesus, how we are to respond if we want to receive the benefits of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. And here's what those verses say. Romans 10, 9, and 10, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. How do we receive Christ and the benefits of his death and resurrection? How do you receive the benefits of Christ's death and resurrection? How do you receive his salvation? Here's the first thing we're told. Believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Really believe it. Deep in your heart. Now, I just give lip service to it, but really believe it. Listen, the resurrection of Jesus Christ isn't a myth that we can receive as a myth 
and then go about our business. That's not what it is. It isn't a great story that we can derive meaning from whether or not it's true. It is the central fact of Christianity. Christianity rises or falls on the truthfulness of the resurrection. The Apostle Paul himself told us that if the resurrection is not true, our faith is useless. We, we might as well disband here this morning and go to a bar together, whichever bar is open on Easter Sunday morning. I mean, that's really what Paul was telling us. I, I added a f- few words to what Paul said, but, but it's very much in line with what he was saying. But here's the truth. The resurrection is true. And it must be believed in order to receive the benefits of it. You see, Jesus isn't just a guru whose teachings we admire and follow. He is the Savior who must be received. He purchased our salvation on the cross. He died for our sins. He rose again victorious over sin. He's alive today. He's alive forevermore. You say, Brian, that's a tough one for me. I'm a smart person, Brian. I have a hard time believing in something that I've never seen. I have a hard time believing in something that's so out of the box of my experience as someone rising from the dead. Listen, smart people believe in the resurrection. And here's why smart people believe in the resurrection. It is because the evidence supports the truthfulness of the resurrection. First of all, the tomb was empty. There's no debate over whether or not the tomb was empty. All of the players involved in the story agreed the tomb was empty. The only question was why was it empty? Everybody agreed the tomb was empty. Christianity would have never gotten off the ground if the authorities of the day would have simply produced the dead body of Jesus. And they tried to, but they couldn't because they couldn't find a body because Jesus is alive. Jesus appeared, bit my tongue, Jesus appeared to hundreds of people following his resurrection. Hundreds. Somewhere around 500 people. Now listen, one person might have a hallucination of the resurrected Christ. 500 people don't have the same hallucination. It just doesn't happen. The Bible lets us know that Jesus' closest followers were skeptical of the resurrection. But they all came to believe. Why? Why did people who were skeptical come to believe? It was because the evidence before them was so overwhelming that to continue in their skepticism would have been completely irrational. Completely illogical. Many of the witnesses to the resurrection died martyrs' deaths. Could have saved their lives by simply recanting the story 
of Jesus being alive, and yet they went to their deaths proclaiming Jesus is alive. I don't know about you, I am capable of telling a lie. I am not capable of sticking with the lie to the point of death. I'm going to come out with the truth before it gets to that point. They went to their grave professing Jesus is alive. You can do your own research. We have great resources available to us today. Probably 20 years ago now, Lee Strobel did a great service to the uh, to the church and, and to those who are seeking for Christ when he wrote the case for the resurrection and goes through and makes the compelling case of why you should believe. You, you can even Google evidence for the resurrection. And when I did that, the first thing that came up was a resource from Desiring God Ministries, which is a very reliable place, and it gave great evidence for the resurrection. There are many other good sources out there as well. Do some research, do some study, objectively look at the evidence. Here is the truth. There are so many reasons to believe. Even for smart people like you, the evidence is compelling. The evidence is persuasive. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the central fact upon which the Christian church rests. It is the central fact upon which our faith rests, and it must be believed in order to receive Christ and the salvation that God offers us through Him. So to receive Christ and the salvation He offers, we have to believe in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead, and then Romans 10 tells us something else. We must confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. There are a couple of important aspects to confessing Jesus as Lord. First of all, we must receive Him as Lord. We must receive Him as Lord. What many people try to do today, and they've tried to do it throughout all of church history, is they try to receive Jesus as Savior without receiving Him as Lord. But it doesn't work that way. He is both Savior and and Lord. Saying yes to Jesus as Savior means saying yes to Jesus as Lord. It it means giving rule of your life back to the one who is the rightful ruler of your life. And confessing Jesus as Lord also means giving public voice to your faith in Christ, proclaiming Jesus to others. Isn't it true that things we really believe, we tell others about. Isn't that true? That is why my Facebook news feed is filled with posts about essential oils. <laughs> because a lot of people really believe in essential oils. My mother-in-law is convinced that the answer to every ailment is to put peppermint on your neck. And I always want to say, did you use your peppermint? Why are you sick? 
I mean, no disrespect to those of you who use essential oils. I, I don't know if they work or not. They may be the greatest thing on earth. I'm just making the point. The things we really believe in, we tell others about. Scripture assumes that people who receive Christ as Savior will make public profession of Him. That they will tell others about Him. The two go hand in hand. I mean, really, this is tough for some of us who have been Christians for a long time and not a lot about Christ is coming out of us. But it really is evidence that we belong to Him. Like, it's, it's fruit. But like, it just happens when you're connected to Him. At least, it's supposed to. It's supposed to. An unknown author said, if on Jesus Christ you trust, speak for Him, you surely must. It's not a means of earning salvation, the speaking for Him, but as I just mentioned, it is the evidence of salvation. It is the natural outflowing of someone who has been saved. Confessing Jesus as Lord means receiving Him as Lord. It means giving public profession of His Lordship in your life. The resurrection in you. Jesus died because God loves you. Jesus had to die because you're sinful and separated from God apart from Christ and because Jesus is God's only plan for your sin problem. You receive Christ and the benefits of his death and resurrection, justification before God, salvation by believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, by receiving him as Savior and Lord, by giving public profession of your faith in him. Many of us here today have done this, but some of us haven't. And if you haven't done this, today, Easter 2016, would be a wonderful time for you finally to make the decision to say yes to Jesus. According to the Bible, this is, he is your only hope of fixing your sin problem and living forever with God instead of living forever separated from God. The resurrection and you, it's very much about you. Jesus died and rose again because God loves you. He died to fix your sin problem and reconcile you to God. And here's the final thing I want to leave you with today. He died so that you too can rise from the grave. I have to be honest with you. I am personally hoping that Christ returns before I experience physical death. I would prefer to just be caught up from my upright position when Christ returns. And I hope that for you too. But we don't know if Christ is going to return in our lifetimes or not. I think he is. I believe he is. I don't know for sure. I did not think I would see my 12th birthday. I thought Christ would return. And I'm nearly 50. I don't know. I think he will. But if he doesn't, here is the truth for every single one of us. 
We are all eventually going to die. Some sooner, others later. But look, let's say we all make it to, to 90. In case you're 80, I'll say, let's assume we make it to 100. It's just a blip. It's just a blip. It's a vapor. You know this, right? I mean, if you're over 40, you've started to figure this out. Each of us will eventually experience physical death. Christ did, we will. And here's what 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 23 tell us about this. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. For since death came through a man, that man was Adam, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man, that man is Jesus. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn, Christ the firstfruits. Then when he comes, those who belong to him. Here is the truth of Easter. Jesus died and rose again so that like him, you can rise from the dead. That's what Easter is about. It's about you. God does not want death to be the final word over your life. God wants you to experience eternal life with him. The resurrection is absolutely about you. He died and rose again for you. That's what Easter is all about. And if you haven't already, I hope that on this Easter 2016, you will say yes to Jesus as your Savior and Lord. You'll be reconciled to God. You'll be saved. And you will leave here knowing that just as the grave could not hold Jesus Christ, the grave cannot hold you. Those of you who believe that, are you thankful for it? Amen. Amen. Let's stand.